is happening, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. Eric, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am now in transition mode. I am a little. I've gotten over the depression that college football is done, but uh, excited for what's ahead. We still have our pro football, you know. Yeah, that's true. But you know, the Dolphins are the Dolphins are out. So yeah, you know, see, I'm still. I'm see now. I'm totally locked into pro football, and I'm be watching that. But we got a lot of stuff going on at UCF too. Spring sports are underway. Obviously, basketball. We got a lot to talk about uh, in this episode of the podcast. Uh, we've got men's and women's basketball now getting into the thick of conference play here in January. Uh, we also have tennis underway. And uh, we'll also kind of put a wrap on the college football season as well. Uh, riff a little bit about the uh, national championship game and some thoughts from a UCF perspective on that. Uh, and uh, a little bit of extra stuff going on around here in the podcast world here for the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So. Uh, lots of stuff to get to. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to us at blackandgoldbanneret.com and also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. All right, let's get started with talking about women's basketball, or, or excuse me, men's basketball. Goodness me. Um, this is a big week. Uh, for UCF men's basketball because they are in a bit of a slide these last two games. Last show we uh, we were on, we were talking about how we recorded actually right after that East Carolina game, which was a bad game. Both teams shot 26% from the field, and we thought, okay, well, they'll be able to snap out of this at some point, and they might be in good shape heading, in, heading into the UConn game. Well, UConn, who was... Down, uh, down amongst the bottom of the American. UConn, we go up to Hartford to play them up there, uh, and UConn just lays the wood to us. 64-49, the game was not that close uh, on uh, last Sunday night. Taco Fall, his second consecutive scoreless game. That's a problem. He was 0-for-1 from the field. Uh, four turnovers. Did have four blocks in the game, only two fouls, so it wasn't a foul trouble thing. Uh, B.J. Taylor led the team with 18 points, but only one assist. The Knights compiled a grand total of eight assists and shot 17 of 51 from the field. Meanwhile, Connecticut uh, was led by 17 points from Rodney Purvis on 7 of 13 from the field. He also hit three threes, picked up four boards uh, as UConn shot 47% from the field. And uh, they were up by quite a bit. I think they were up at one point sixty to thirty six by twenty four points. UCF kind of rallied a little bit at the end to cut it down to a fifteen point deficit uh, at the end of the game. But the Knights fall to twelve and four overall, three and one in the American. Uh, and that's like we said, two straight games. Eric, um, the the East Carolina game before it, Taco went scoreless. The Knights only scored forty eight points and won. This one, they score forty nine points and lose. What has happened the last two nights? Well, here's the thing. I mean, we've, we, what do we talk about before this season? We had Michael Donnell on, and the biggest concern was lack of depth, you know, the reduced of scholarship players. When you have no depth, it means pretty much you're dependent on the guys you're playing to produce. And what we've seen now for two games, if Matt Williams doesn't play well and Taco Fall doesn't play well, you're done pretty much. And if, you know, that's the thing you need these guys to be good every night to have a shot. I think we have gotten spoiled 
with the start of the season and thought that, well, maybe, you know, they're better than we thought. Well, part of the reason why they got off to the great starts because Matt Williams was playing at a very high level. Taco Fall has been playing at a very high level. But they are still young kids. And, and you know, you know, the old what's the old I know you love this cliche, the regression to the means. Yep. Uh, I think we've seen it's not a cliche. That's a mathematical principle. <laughs> well said. No, that's true. Touche. Uh, touche on that. So I think we've seen a little bit of that from the guys, and that's a result why they've struggled offensively. Now, it's not time to panic. It's not time to overreact. It's not. But what it is, is we're seeing this was the concerns we had before the season. This was the concern I even had while they were playing well. And I said, let's see how things go in the conference, because what we're seeing and we'll start with Taco Teams are making adjustments. Teams have tape on these guys now. So teams are making adjustments. And I don't think it's an accident that East Carolina who had a, a big that did a great job on Taco. And then UConn, even though they've had their issues, they have Burma there and they got their bigs there too. They know how to defend bigs and they, they try to be more physical and they're making adjustments. And I think that's why Taco has struggled. Matt Williams, the shot hasn't been going as well. Uh, and so it's a combination of things. Those guys, along with B.J. Taylor and A.J. Davis, have to play well. Because if they don't, there are no other options, Jeff. It's not like other schools or in a normal year where you can maybe call the number of the seventh man on the bench or something like to pick up the slack. There is no other seventh man on this team, right, or eighth guy. Yeah, when you look at, if you take away B.J. Taylor's shot attempts, the Knights as a team shot 10 of 34. Uh, Matt Williams himself was uh, 3 of 9 from beyond the arc, 3 of 11 overall. A.J. Davis was one of seven. Tank Effiani also put up a donut. He had only he had no points on 0 of 3 shooting. And, uh, you know, Nick Banyard had, you know, eight points off the bench. But you're right, Eric. I mean, it seems like yeah, they are making the adjustments. They're putting the pressure on the right places on us right now. But Taco, only one shot attempt. That tells me that he's kind of getting pushed out of his spots a little bit. And... The footwork that we saw that he was get, you know he was getting good position early in the season. Now teams are trying to sort of figure out the code, and now he has to make the adjustment. And he hasn't quite made the adjustment yet. I think he will, and I think we're going to have to, you know, over the course of this next week. I have a relatively light week leading up to the Houston game coming up next. But, uh, but those are the adjustments that I want to see. I think that this this sort of six days off prior to the night's next game against Houston. And a big game against Houston because their record is exactly identical to us. 12-4 and four overall, 3-1 and one in the conference, and they're also coming off their first conference loss. Uh, this is going to be a big game for UCF. This is the biggest, biggest early conference game, I think, yet. It's going to be on CBS Sports Network, tip-off set for 4 p.m. on Saturday, uh, January the 14th. Um, how much of a problem do you think Houston, uh, Houston poses for us right now? Well, you know, it's funny because I watched Houston's last game against Cincinnati. They depend on the three ball. They've been shooting the three great all season. They did not against Cincinnati. That's kind of what failed them. Uh, I think they shot in the teens. Couldn't make a basket against Cincinnati. So that's going to be the challenge. Houston's got some quick guards, and they're going to attack UCF. Now, UCF's done a great job, you know, again, guarding the perimeter. What's interesting is Houston's had the opposite problem that UCF's had, and that is Houston's issue has been more on the defensive side uh, until the Cincinnati game. They actually defended well against Cincinnati. They just couldn't take advantage of it. Um, I, I, Calvin Sampson's done a phenomenal job there turning around that Houston program, which really was at the bottom when he arrived there you know, a couple seasons ago. So 
they're they're going to go up tempo, and it's going to be a unique challenge. I agree with you. It's a big game because you look at the American Conference, uh, and at the you know at the time, depending on when people are listening to this, the biggest game in the American Conference in basketball is coming up Thursday night. Cincinnati and SMU are playing. Yeah, those are the two best teams right in the league, uh, RPI wise, talent wise. Um, that's a that, to me, uh, Jeffrey. I think those two teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament, regardless of what happens moving forward, unless some you know they have an epic collapse or some forth. So they're going to have at least the conference is looking at at least two bids. The question is going to be for the American Conference: Can they get a third and or a fourth team? Can someone play themselves into that? And I think this matchup with UCF and Houston right now are two of those contenders. Uh, Houston's RPI is more in the 70s. That's why the Cincinnati loss hurt them. You know, UCF, obviously, his RPI took a bit of a hit against UConn, although this is why there there are flaws to the RPI. And let me just say this. As confident as I was about UCF's chances against Temple before the game, I had zero confidence going into UConn. And I know UConn's had their issues. They've had injury issues, and, and their, their record's not good right now, and they're, and they're struggling, and their RPI's not very good. But you still got to go to UConn. You still got to face that program. And, and some that's, to me – uh, I was worried about that game because you knew yeah, UConn was a trap, don't you think? I mean, it felt yeah, like, it yeah. felt like you, you know UConn. They've got off to such a slow start to the season. It's a talented team. They're at home Sunday on TV. That just felt like they were they were going to be ready for us. Absolutely, and they were. In fact, uh, Coach Ali acknowledged that was probably the best forty minutes they played all season. And remember, they played a tough schedule too preseason. So the pre-conference. So. Um, I think we can't overreact to that. If we look, if we were doing this podcast in October and we said, "Well, UCF's going to lose us at UConn by 15," I think we would have said, "Yeah, that that's you know that that sounds about right." So um, let's not overreact. I know that UConn's had their issues and they've struggled, but that's not an easy place to play. I've been up there; it's not an easy place to get to to Hartford. Uh, you know, and UConn still has a lot of pride. They have a tremendous program, and don't be surprised if UConn makes a run here towards the end of the year and and, and what they have done in the last handful of the three years here in the American Conference, make a run at the conference tournament. Uh, that's where they, you know, I think that's where UConn's going to be really dangerous, I have a feeling. But, you know, for UCF, I think you just learn from that. And, you know, you just got to build on this big game with the Houston games. I agree with you. It's a big game. You win this game, I think you kind of get off, you know, you kind of put that bad taste out of your mouth and move forward, uh, you know, make progress. If you lose, now you've lost a couple games and, you know, the big question is, can they find some answers offensively? Also, I think the week off helps. Remember, B.J. Taylor just got back. Yeah. Okay? You he know, still, he's he still pro- looked like he's still trying to adjust to it, too. Even though he was only out for a yes. couple games. Yeah, I felt like he yeah. was just trying to do way too much these last two games, don't you? Agreed. 100- Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. And he's missed. And then the players got to get reacquainted with him. So I think they're, you know, that's why I think that's part of the reason why the offense hasn't been as sync as well. So now they got a week of practice and they get to refamiliarize with each other. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. You know, BG just came back in that East Carolina game, and some people were surprised he came back in the East Carolina game. So you, you know, that you're trying to get these pieces to work together, um, and and so I think that's a part of it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can come up with on Saturday against Houston. I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I always love the UCF-Houston rivalry in all sports because um, I think the programs are similar. 
And I think it's a big game for both of them because I think both of them feel like, okay, Cincinnati and SMU are the top two teams in the league probably. But the question becomes, who is the third best team? Is it a Houston? Is it Memphis with Tubby Smith? Is it a Houston? Is it UCF? Is it whoever? Temple. But Temple's off to a slow start. UCF beat Temple. That's the big question is who's going to be the third and the fourth best teams in the American Conference? And can that team uh, put themselves in position to either make the NCAAs or make postseason? Now, I should correct myself because actually Houston, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday night, January the 11th. Houston actually won earlier today. So they're now 13-4 and four and 4-1 four and one in the league. Uh, they beat East Carolina 74-58. to 58. That game was in Greenville. So... Uh, so that's a, actually that's a big win for Houston. Uh, key guy to watch out for them is Rob Gray Jr., who's averaging them at twenty, who's averaging twenty and a half points uh, per game. He's shooting forty nine percent from the field, so he's having a very good season. Tremendous talent, yeah. yeah. Tremendous talent could be uh, will be a contender for Player of the Year All Conference. Uh, again, that's going to be interesting how UCF guards the perimeter and guards those wings uh, against Houston. And how much of a factor will Taco Fall be in this game? You know, normally Taco's been tremendous from the standpoint of size. He dominates inside, and teams can't go inside of them. Well, Houston's more than content to play in the outside. So it's going to be who can put the other team's will in there. Houston's probably going to want to speed up the game, make this an open court. They're going to try and get Taco out of the game. And I think UCF's going to try and, and, and kind of use the size and play defense and maybe slow the ball down. I don't think UCF wants to get into a track meet with Houston. So I'm, I'm very intrigued by this matchup. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. By the way, depending on when you're listening to this, the SMU-Cincinnati game is an ESPN game. And I said ESPN. I didn't say the deuce. I didn't say ESPN. ESPN. So 9 Eastern Thursday night. Make a note of that. Uh, I think they're the two best teams, Jeff in the American conference. And those are probably, you know, for UCF standpoint and Houston, everybody else, that's the two teams that I think people are going to be chasing. Uh, but I think after that, I think it's kind of open. I, I don't have, it's early clearly, but I don't have a sense of who is the third or fourth best team. It's a very weird year in the American from that standpoint, partly because of UConn struggles. I think we just assume UConn would have been up there. They're not at this point. Uh, so that's fascinating to me. So big, big game. And then, you know, we're focusing on that. The other key is you don't want to have a letdown regardless of the Houston game. The following game, you're hosting a USF team that's already fired on Orlando Antigua. Okay. And USF, Jeff, would I could make the argument is probably right now the worst team in the league. Um, and, and to me, that's going to play just as big of a role on the season. Because if you drop a game to USF or two, that's almost like losing, you know, you're losing ground at that point. Right. So very important couple home games here for UCF. I think the thing I'm looking forward to seeing, the school is back in session. I will will I want to see the students out there. UCF starting their tailgating for basketball. So I'm curious with the atmosphere. I think needs to be big. And you and I have been there when that place is rocking. It could be a tough place to play. And I think that's got to be pivotal. I think the, the the fans have to kind of help this team out too. I don't sometimes that could help. I mean, you we watched it earlier this week for people that watched Florida State play Duke in basketball. There was the first sellout. Uh, at the Tucker Center in like four years. They had over 11,000 in it, and you could tell it was a different place than it normally is, and I think UCF has that ability, and they can make the difference 
uh, in games like Saturday against Houston. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope that the tailgating thing actually does work out because, first of all, I think it's interesting, and second of all, I do think that it's uh, the right thing to do if you're trying to draw some more people over to basketball. Yeah, well, give what, a little bit of a little bit of a teaser to get get a few people, a few more people to just come out, especially to these afternoon games that happen on the weekends. You know. Yeah, we haven't even talked about it since it came out. What, what and, and clearly. I mean, other basketball schools have done similar things, and, and I Duke did this with Shashevskyville um, and stuff like that. Uh, I've always wondered about that. You know, I've already talked about tailgating in football. Uh, basketball is, is obviously indoors, so it's a little different. But why not do a try a little bit of a tailgating activity and stuff like that? It is very interesting to me. Uh, on the impact of that, yeah. Now they got uh, uh, Danny White made the announcement. Um, what they're going to have is, I'm looking at it, there are four conference games. you got to register, but uh, there are four conference games that they're looking at. Uh, January 14th, obviously, the Houston game, 4 p.m. tip. The Memphis game, February 4th. The following yep. week, Saturday, they're all weekend that's... games. Saturday, February 11th versus UConn, that's a 6 p.m. tip. And then Sunday, February 26th against Cincinnati. So all four of those games are big conference games. The tailgating opens up four hours before tip. That should be a fun little thing where you can go to uh, Memory Mall. One other quick thing I wanted to mention, too, about Taco Falls. Sorry to go back to this, but um, I would like to see him get involved because when we have that, uh, when we have a situation where you're playing a team that does kind of want to kind of run and gun and relies on the outside shot, he's going to get the chance to get, catch a lot of defense, to get himself a lot of defensive boards. And that's something that UCF, you know, to their credit, they've been – uh, up until the UConn game, they were number one in the country in rebounding. And it's been yeah. the defensive boards that have been helping out UCF the most. Then we got out-rebounded by UConn, so what happened, right? So I think that's going to be a key to the game. But uh, that I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere. It should be, uh, it should be a fun Saturday coming up. because And, and just an interesting experiment, too, with the, uh, with the tailgating as well, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I, I'm actually, I can tell you, I've, I'm hosting the sports talk Florida insider show on Saturday from universal Nissan from 11 to one. And then from there uh, I'm going straight to campus and I want, cause I want to see what's it like outside. Yeah. I want to see how, you know, what the vibe is, how many people are there. Uh, you know, and, and I think it's a good look. I, I applaud taking op, making opportunities, you know, some ideas, you know, and taking chances and making ideas. I I'm all for it. So whether it works or not, I have no idea. But I think you got to applaud the effort, don't you, Jeff? I mean, you know, they're trying some different things. So uh, to me, it's on the it's on the fans, right? I mean, at some point, yeah. you got to look mirror and say, well, you know, what else do you want? Type of deal. Well, here's uh, I think this is really putting the ball in the court of the students. In yes, I think that's absolutely. What this really is is hey guys, we got a basketball game coming up. I know how much you love you know football tailgating, and hey, this ain't football, but this is tailgating. Let's have some fun. Let's get you into the building for these big weekend dates. And uh, and see what happens, and make a fun day out of it. And you know, look, Saturday, Sunday, kind of pick up where football left off. And but the main thing is tailgate, but then also come to the arena. Don't just you know tailgate. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. we've uh, we've well, they're guilty of that. So um, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see this team and uh, see what they look like on Saturday. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what they come up with. And I, you're right, it's an ex- Houston and UCF to me have always had some great memorable games. I'll never forget. I think it was 2007. It was Michael Donnell hitting that three-pointer at the old, which now is the UCF venue, 
against Houston in a marquee game that was for second place because that was back when John Calipari and Memphis were running rough shot in Conference USA and you know Kirk Sparrow and UCF and Houston. Uh, Tom Penders was the Houston coach and it was a battle for second place and it was one of the best games I've ever seen in college basketball in person. Uh, Michael Donovan and UCF beating Houston in overtime to pretty much get the number two spot in the Conference USA, which was a big deal because, you know, everybody knew Calipari and Memphis was going to win the conference. So second place felt like your own title, if you will. <laughs> you know? right. So uh, I, I've always had enjoyable moments. There have been not so good moments, but in you know, memorable games I never forget. Uh, right around that same time frame, Houston UC played a game where UCF had an 18, 20 point lead in Houston. Houston came all the way back. Um, so there's been some memorable games from these two teams when they, these programs. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what this chapter brings in a very important game. So I think both teams feel that they can compete. And I think they're, they got, you know, some interesting aspirations with two coaches that know what they're doing Calvin Sampson and Johnny Dawkins. A great head to head matchup there. I'm looking forward to seeing how the chess match works with those two. So, and guys, uh, have had great success at other schools that have come. Again, we, you know, we yeah. talked about coaching in the American. Here's a good matchup. It is. It really is. So I, I'm excited. It's good to have the guys back home uh, here for a couple games and get into the, the crust of this conference. And uh, I think another guy that's got to AJ Davis got to get him going here, yeah. Jeff, too. He's been the one guy since he came back from the injury. He hasn't been at the level that he was a year ago for whatever the reason. They, you know, they need to get more out of him to take some of the load off of Matt Williams, take some of the load off B.J. Taylor. It helped that offense because this offense, it's not, you know, it's not brain surgery. There's only certain guys there that the offense is going to come from, and, and, and A.J. has to be one of them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to him getting off. And I think that would be really helpful for him to get off in this game. And not just in, not just outside, but inside as well. I want to see him take it to the hole a little bit more. So these next two games, pivotal. January 14th, Saturday, 4 p.m. against Houston. And uh, followed up two days later, USF coming to town. That game's uh, – the uh, Houston games on CBS Sports Network. The USF games Tuesday, January 17th uh, at 7 p.m. That game is on ESPN News. So two huge games for UCF men's basketball coming up. All right. Uh, well, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, if you're looking to get a little scouting report on the Houston Cougars before our game on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to uh, be asked on as a guest for the Scott and Holman podcast, P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, that's um, done by uh, Sam Scott and Dustin Holman, uh, who are kind of like us, only they're University of Houston guys. And uh, they had me on as a guest uh, for uh, episode 225 of their show, 225 episodes. Well done, guys. And uh, wow, I'll have a, really? yeah, I'll have a link to um, I'll have a link to that show uh, in the description of, uh, of of this one. So give that uh, give that one a listen so that we're all so that uh, fans of both squads are well informed coming into <laughs> coming into our uh, our respective game uh, this Saturday. So th- and, and thanks again to those guys again uh, to to uh, Sam and Dustin for having me on. Really appreciate it. I'm hoping that we'll have. One of them, or maybe both of them, on uh, for the return trip uh, uh, when uh, when UCF goes out to Houston later on this season. Switching gears, let's talk a little UCF women's basketball. As uh, you know, Eric, you had said uh, after in the show we did after the UConn game is that don't let don't let UConn beat you twice. Uh, and well, 
following that UConn game that we lost 84 to 48, which, by the way, judging by that score against what UConn <laughs> did against USF, I think we did pretty good against UConn in general. Um, the Knights have had lost two in a row, 63 to 57 to Cincinnati at Cincinnati, and then by three at home against Memphis. So a couple of close games that the Knights dropped. And so that's a four game skid right there uh, heading into the new year if you add in that UC Davis game right before the conference opener against UConn. And things were kind of a little worried that things were coming off the wheels. Well, tonight, the Knights stopped the bleeding. They go into Houston and get the win, 62-48. to Outscored the Cougs 22-9 in the third quarter. That was the difference. Zai Lewis with 17. Three players with 11, including uh, K.K. Wright, Jocelyn Massey, and Aaliyah Aaliyah Gregory. Down the stretch, as we were watching this game, uh, Eric, we're recording this again on Wednesday, January 11th, as this game is finishing up. Uh, Jocelyn Massey was tremendous in the second half. 11 points, 10 rebounds for the game. Um, and, that was, and that was fun to watch as uh, UCF uh, shoots uh, 42% uh, from the field uh, and holds Houston to just 31% uh, for the Cougs. Angela Harris uh, led them with 11. They had Jasmine Harris with 10 and 11 boards. But um, it's a big win for UCF women's basketball, uh, kind of coming back off of uh, off of that slide, and they get that critical conference win. Yeah, good to uh, end the the schneid, if you will, go on the road. It's a very you know they got a lengthy road trip coming up here, and uh, you you mentioned the loss at Cincinnati a week ago. That they dug themselves a hole, try to come back too late. The you know. Uh, you know, they mentioned Saturday, the home game against Memphis. That came down the last minute. There was opportunities there. It didn't get happened. But, uh, you know, Coach Abe gets her first win in the American Conference. Uh, and, again, defensively, I think this team – and you were there, Coach Calhoun, when he said the comment, this team comes at you and they attack you. And I think defensively, uh, this team, that's how they're going to win games. They're going to play defense uh, as the offense comes around. It was good to see the offense come around. Zy Lewis – Leading score, I think that's the, the recipe for the offensive side. But Dom, you know, we go being physical inside, going in the boards, uh, getting the work done, and pulling away was huge for them. Uh, Coach Abe using a lot of different bodies, and it paid off. So good for them. And you know, I've always felt that trying to get that first conference win sometimes can be the hardest. And then once you get it, maybe you relax a little bit and uh, can play basketball moving forward. So now that they got that uh, off the schneid. A uh, big win for them here as they're going to be on the road here for a little bit until uh, January 21st. Yeah, UCF jumps up to 11-6 and six overall, 1-3 uh, and three in the league. Now, they're actually, you look at the standings, it's still early. They're actually second to last in the conference, uh, but they go by conference record. And you got, let's see, one, two, three, four teams at 1-2, and two, two lanes at 2-2, two and two, two teams at 2-1, and one, including USF and Cincinnati. And then Temple and UConn are three and zero in the league, but UConn is head and shoulders above everybody else. Everyone kind of knows that it's a race for second place, as everybody knows. Uh, but Zai Lewis was big. You know, she is the only one who really gets to shoot threes because she's so good at it. She was two of six from the arc uh, in this game, seven of twelve overall. But you know, I, I, Coach Abe said, you know, she doesn't like the three point shot, and you know, not, well, not that she doesn't like it. It's just that she doesn't want to rely on it as much as other teams. She wants to pound the ball down low. I think that certainly happened with uh, Jocelyn Massey. Also, uh, Fifi Endure got into the act a little bit with eight points in 24 minutes. Um, picked up four fouls in the game, so that kind of 
that kind of dropped down her ability to uh, do much offensively. Uh, Tolu uh, Omakore was also out there for UCF getting some jo- getting the job done on the boards as well. Uh, Tolu didn't finish with any uh, with any bus with with any uh, baskets with three rebounds. But Jocelyn Massey, she was key in the third quarter spurt for UCF that put the game. Uh, effectively out of reach. So if you look at the standings right now for UCF, like I said, they got some work to do, but it's still early because everyone's only three or four games into the slate in conference. And uh, here's the slate coming up. This is the first of two road games this week. Uh, The Knights come back home, and then a week from um, the Houston game, January 18th, Wednesday, they go to East Carolina uh, for a game against uh, the Pirates. Uh, uh, East Carolina is dead last in the league at one and three, 10 and 7 overall. So it's all kind of a little mixed up in terms of who's who. Uh, and there's going to be certainly some shaking up in the conference schedule over the next week. But uh, then after that, you're home January 21st for Tulsa. That's a Saturday. And then uh, Tuesday, January 24th for uh, Cincinnati. Second time you're going to be playing them. And that's going to be a big game because obviously we mentioned how good Cincinnati is. They're 2 and 1 in the league, 11 and 5 overall coming in. So good chance for the Knights to get off the Schneid. Uh, tonight and they do against Houston and uh, and they do so uh, on the interior. Anything that concerns you about this game, Eric? I don't know about concern. I mean, it is this team. Remember, I mean, you know, it's the first year and the coach Abe, and I think you're going to have some ups and downs, especially on the offensive end. But I was just pleased to see Zai Lewis play well. I think she for them to win games, she's got to play well. She's capable of it. I think sometimes. Zai just got to be confident in her abilities. You know, don't be so defensive. You know, sometimes you get players where or they're too, you know, they're too unselfish. You know what I mean? Uh, I think she's capable of being aggressive and being a 20-point scorer. I think you know? sometimes, you know, the, the players here are a little bit tentative because they don't want to mess up in front of the new coach. They're still learning exactly. the system. Right. And you can still kind of feel like they're, you know, whenever they run something, they're kind of like, oh, is this the right thing? Do I have to, exactly. right. do I have to be on the floor to start this? Where do I go, oh, okay, yeah, I remember. And so they're still kind of learning the system. So for them to be at this position, actually, I think is uh, is pretty good overall. And I think, you know, Coach Abe deserves a lot of credit for the patience that she's had with the players, too. And that's the thing. They're learning each other. So, I, I, I you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. You mentioned at East Carolina. Uh, and see what they do there. Tough place in Greenville. I know ECU's had their issues, but uh, they. You know, I watched East Carolina actually. Uh, I saw them over the weekend. They were at home against the very uh, against SMU. That came down to the last possession of the game. So uh, they could have easily uh, won that game. They did not. It came up short, but that was a tight game. So, and I think that's the key, Jeff. Execution down the stretch. You know how will UCF handle that? You know they had that tight loss to Memphis. You know, two or three of these games are going to come down to the last possession or two, and how you execute and, and have the confidence to pull it out will be keys uh, for them. And it could be the difference between, you know, finishing fifth or sixth in the conference or finishing ninth in a conference. Is this, I think that's that tight. Yeah, and I th- one of the things that's a little bit concerning to me, though, is if you look at the score by periods, you know, over throughout the, the season, the Knights start off, you know, very tight on defense. They're only, they've only given up 197 points in the first quarter, but in each quarter, as you get later, they've given up more points, 257 given up in the fourth quarter of this season. They've scored 284 in the final period, but that kind of gets me a little bit worried sometimes um, that there's maybe that maybe they're getting a little bit tired down the stretch, but this is quite, this is quite a deep team. And, um, and so I think if they can continue to 
uh, to, to they're out rebounding their opponents by almost ten boards a game, which is remarkable. Uh, I think if that continues, you know, that that's going to pay for itself uh, in the long run. So again, coming up for UCF, they got a week off basically until they go back on the road to East Carolina uh, next Wednesday, and hoping that they can uh, finish out, you know, get back in a, into their winning ways in conference. All right, stick around. When we get back, we'll talk a little tennis. UCF tennis is getting underway uh, uh, this weekend with uh, a couple of debut matches at, uh, at the USTA Tennis Center down by Lake Nona. And we'll, we'll put a wrap-up on the college football season with a look, quick look back at uh, some UCF connections with the, uh, uh, again, that we didn't talk about last week with the College Football National Championship and uh, a little bit of coaching news as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banner podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And thanks again also to uh, Andrew and Trace, who had me on as a guest this past Sunday uh, for their uh, year end, uh, for their football season end, rather, uh, video show, The Spectacular, Andrew called it. I was a guest on that along with the incomparable Eric Kohler, uh, and, uh, and it was a good time. We, took, we kind of wrapped up the football season, looked ahead to 2017, touched upon basketball a little bit. But uh, make sure you check a look at that because I have a link up there on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com that you can check out. Eric, you got to come to the next one, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, you're everywhere. Everybody, you're doing interviews with Houston people. You're doing YouTube specials here with Andrew. It's just uh, tremendous. Look, I'm I mean, wow. man. What can I say? <laughs> hey, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you are. I'm happy for you. It's great. Hey, no, I'm look. I watched it. It was great. You did a great job. It was a great show. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you're the go-to guy there. I don't know what, how many, how many of those are they, are, is he do Andrew and, uh, you know, those Trace doing those the live lives. video shows? I think, yeah. was, I think this was like the second or third one. I, I don't know. I'll have to ask him, but I think this was like the yeah. second or third one. Um, I watched, I watched at least one before it was great. I thought, and, uh, and even better this time. It's, it's only just, it's just getting better. So it's a great job by those guys. And uh, and again, thanks. Yeah, it was brought. You, it was a recap. Yeah, it was a recap of the football season and the highlights and the and stuff and looking ahead to the 2017 season. So certainly uh, a good, 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 good conversation. A good way to wrap up the football season. Yeah, and and a lot of interesting stuff that we were able to talk about too. That some of which you've heard from us before, and some new stuff as well. So that's uh, so that's something that's worth checking out. All right, you know what else is worth checking out, Eric Lopez? Yep. UCF tennis this year. Oh, yeah. We know all about John Roddick. By the way, you can check out uh, Eric's first interview with him from, uh, from uh, a couple months back, uh, right after, uh, not long after John got hired at UCF uh, yep. to be the director of tennis. Well, tennis actually is underway. Uh, the UCF women's tennis team uh, on Wednesday, January the 11th, uh, defeated Flagler College 5-2 to two at, the, uh, at the UCF tennis complex. That's the rec courts over by the rec center. Um, head coach Brian Canico uh, said, we knew Flagler was going to be a tough one considering we were down a point and a half from the start, but the girls handled the pressure well. 
not only being the first match of the season, but also being down. Can't be more proud of him for getting through today. We got another one on Friday. So uh, women's tennis uh, is getting underway. And uh, their first two matches are going to be at the UCF uh, on campus at the tennis complex. Uh, that's, they finished off this, went, this Wednesday match, and they got Florida Tech on Friday. Sunday, January 15th, they start off at the USTA Tennis Center uh, down by Lake Nona. Actually, just north of the 417 in the Lake Nona area. So it's not down by the hospitals, but uh, it's just on the other side of 417 from there. And, of course, men's tennis is going to be uh, starting up there as well. So, uh, And they've got a match coming up against Texas Tech, Eric. And you were able to talk to the uh, Texas Tech coach and get a little bit of context, I think, for what can be expected from UCF tennis. So what do you think about this coming in? I mean, now, we've heard all the stuff about you know, the, uh, the new facility, the new commitment with John Roddick to uh, tennis and how good UCF tennis can be. But now that we're right on the eve of it, what's the, uh, what's the overall uh, read on UCF tennis right now? Well, I think that people it's one it's one of the first of all, it's one of the top stories in, in college tennis is how what John Roddick will do with UCF. Uh, Jeff, as you know, UCF tennis hasn't been at the upper level in tennis uh, over the last few years. And now you get John Roddick, who's one of the top coaches in the sport, led Oklahoma to three runner ups, uh, NCAA runner-up appearances for the championship at Oklahoma. Now he's at UCF. And you mentioned, I spoke to the Texas Tech head coach, Brett Macy. Texas Tech's a top 25 program. They are Big 12 champions. He, he had to deal with John Roddick. And as I asked him, and I, he explains here, he talks about what UCF's getting, and John Roddick is one of the best in the industry. John's a great guy. He's a great coach. Shoot, they made the finals the last three seasons at Oklahoma before John got to Oklahoma. You know, the program was uh, mostly a top 50 at, at best program. And then in his seven years or so there, you know, he reached the quarterfinals, I think, once. And then, again, he reached three finals. I mean, that's just, you know, very consistent and very, you know, he's able to get good players there. And not to mention he's a great coach and he works his guys hard. And, you know, he, he does an awesome job. Um, and, obviously, the proof's in the pudding. You know, otherwise you couldn't say anything other than that with, Making three finals, I can't say that enough. I, you know, I, you know, I'd be, it'd be great to, you know, I've been lucky, lucky enough to win a national title being an assistant coach when I was at USC. But to make three finals in a row is tough to do. To make a final in general is tough to do, and win a national title. But you know, he's done an awesome job, and I think, you know, with the USTA being right here now and having that, um, that center at his disposal, and for the UCF players and what they're going to be able to do. You know, it won't take long for John to get them going on the map and moving forward and being a top 25 program or even higher. There you go. Coach Macy uh, there, Jeff. And he talks about John Roddick and the impact and why he's such a great coach. Obviously, the ties with his brother, Andy Roddick, and the name factor. But, I mean, Jeff, this is a huge, huge story. You know, I, I look at the spring. Uh, I think the big stories in UCF, obviously Greg Lovelady at baseball being the new head coach there, but this is as big as it gets with John Roddick. The, the comparison I made, imagine if like Urban Meyer left Ohio State to come to UCF for football. I mean, that's kind of what this is in college tennis. John Roddick is regarded as one of the best in this industry in college tennis, and the expectations are, and I'm sure that's what Danny White is coming in is. And you heard Macy allude to it. Uh, I think UCF's expectations, if not this year soon, is 
to make the NCAA tournament and be a factor in the sport. I think that's certainly now it's because it used to be, oh, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we got to the NCAA tournament? Now it's, an ex, it's going to be an expectation. And yeah. I think it's going to take a couple of recruiting classes for that to happen, but the expectations are now up there for both coaches. Obviously, John is, you know, the director of tennis overseeing both programs and the men's head coach. Uh, coach Kaneko is coaching the, uh, is the head coach of the women's team working one step underneath him. But um, the two of them have had, obviously, we know about the success that they both have had on their resume. So I think that this is a prime time to get on board for UCF tennis because they're actually starting out. Look at this schedule starting out at the USTA complex, right? So the match against Texas Tech is 5 p.m. on Saturday, January 14th. Then they got New Mexico coming the next day. Then they've got Arizona the day after that. Sunday, January 22nd against Auburn at home. And then later on that same day, they've got Bethune-Cookman. But then the fall after that, they go on the road to Florida State for their first road match of the season Thursday, February 9th. So they're wrapping, ramping this thing up real quick. And, uh, and, and they're going to find out real, you know, about that sort of competition level uh, right away. We're going to see how much better right off the bat that the men's tennis team is under, uh, is under Coach Roddick. Uh, before they actually get to the, it, it's there's no actual here's the thing about tennis there's no actual conference play now we do have matches against teams that are in our conference we have matches against Tulsa uh, USF is coming to town later on in the season SMU is coming down but that's it it's mostly kind of like a non-conference schedule so that enables coach Roddick to have a lot of flexibility uh, with regard to how he can schedule. You don't actually do anything with the American until you get to the conference championships, which, uh, right. again, will be held in Lake Nona in uh, late April. April the 20th is when that's going to get started down there. So we're hosting the conference. Uh, both men and women. Both men and women, that's right, which is good, because I'm glad they do that at the same uh, at the same facility. So uh, women's, yeah. in the meantime, they got Iowa coming up as their first matchup at the Tennis Center on Sunday, January 15th. So look at that. We got a doubleheader on the 15th. Uh, 2 p.m. New Mexico for the men. Uh, noon, Iowa for the women. Uh, and then they've got Bethune-Cookman Sunday, January 22nd, right after that. And they play a lot of teams kind of local. Stetson, Florida A&M, UNF, Florida Gulf Coast, FAU, Georgia Southern, kind of in this neck of the woods, if you will. Uh, and so that'll be, that, that I think will be pretty helpful for the team uh, as well going forward. So, uh, I'm interested to see how that goes. And, and you talked about the, the uh, facility, too, and how that all is kind of shaping up, right? It's huge. You know, I talked to Coach Macy. And, again, people keep on. Brett Macy is a Big 12 Coach of the Year. He was an assistant at USC, a national champion coach. Coach Steve Johnson, who's currently arguably the top American professional tennis player in the world right now. Um, so he knows his tennis. And, you know, and I interviewed him. And this interview will air, by the way, on Saturday – uh, on my insider show, you can listen to it at 1130. We go into the detail what Texas Tech will bring to the table this year and what they'll do against UCF and stuff like that. But one of the questions I asked him was about the USTA Center and the impact of this to the sport. Because I know in talking to people, one of their goals is to host, uh, you mentioned they're hosting the conference tournament championships, but they want to host the NCAA championships as well. And I asked him, hey, 
would the USTA Center here at Lake Nona be uh, in favor of being the permanent home for the tennis championships, or do you like to rotate the championships? And he answers the question about what he, you know, going back and forth on the answer, but then listen to what he had to say about the facility. When I was playing and early on in coaching, that pretty much every year was at Georgia, and that was the home. And as much as an advantage it was for Georgia, it was just, it's like the every time it's now back at Georgia, everybody gets really excited about it. I, in my mind, uh, at least I do. You know, it's just fun to go there and just the, the atmosphere that you know they've done with Dan McGill and you know back in the day. You know, it just it just kind of screams like college tennis. Um, but you know, if we can set something like that at the USGA Center, and I'm hoping that's what they're trying to do, that would be awesome. Um, and you know, I think if we had a consistency where we knew where it was at every single year, then people would know what to expect, and, you know, we can kind of move with that. But with the amount of money that everybody is, I think, putting into their facilities, you know, these days, whether it's in tennis or any other sport, you know, I think we're not doing that just to, you know, we want to host a national title too, um, or, you know, other schools when I say we. Um, so, but again, if USTA built a hundred core facility and we have everything right there, you know it's going to be tough to compete against that when they put the bid out and you know, like say, hey, we got twelve or great, you know, courts here. Then you can also practice before the matches and everything's right at your disposal. You know, and they have the indoor courts as well. That's that's going to be tough. And there you have it. There you have it, Jeff. And you notice that you know it's funny how he answered the question. He was back and forth. He talked about Georgia, of course, which has got the great tradition. But you notice how he snuck in all the, 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 the things that that USTA brings to the table. And at the end of the day, you know, if they put the bid in, I don't, I don't think anybody would complain if the championships are held there uh, and, and exposure. So that's why this is huge, I think. The reason I bring that up is being big. If you're John Roddick, if you're UCF tennis, men and women tennis, from a recruiting standpoint, to tell your kids – that this is going to be where you play your home matches, Jeff, I think is a game changer. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that I mean, you know, I, I used to cover Georgia tennis because they were really yep. good at the time that I was there in Athens. In fact, I was there when they were covering or when they were hosting in 2007 at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, and Georgia won the men's championship both years, uh, 07 and 08, that I was there uh, working there. They won in Athens uh, on their home court in 07, then went one out in Tulsa, actually. Uh, and at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, if anyone's ever been there, that is an oasis of college tennis. It really is beautiful. It kind of has a very classic feel to it. The seating's really good. The courts are just absolutely gorgeous. But it's rather small. The USTA Complex is going to be big. Big, 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 big. And I think that that, that may be an opportunity there for, you know, we they keep, billing it as the home of American tennis. What better way than to establish that than hold your college championships uh, there? So that'll be a fun thing for UCF going forward. The commitment to UCF tennis, I think, is the thing I'm most excited about uh, and seeing because I think UCF can be nationally competitive in tennis in a real hurry. We've got the right environment. we got the right – we're in the right area. Um, it's gonna, I think this is going to be a fun few years to see uh, what John Roddick can do at UCF. And let's – no, and let's be honest, you mentioned I interviewed John Roddick a couple of months ago. It's on the site. It's on Black and Go Banneret. But I asked him about that facility, and he acknowledged it's one of the reasons why he is at UCF, because of that place and the potential that you could do here with that. Um, you know, he, he's 
it's, it's a game changer. I really do. I think it's a game changer for this program. And I think Danny White, I mean, you talk about a home run hire. I, I think it's big, Jeff. And I, I will go out on a limb and say, I think within the next three to four years, UCF will be a national title contender uh, in college tennis. Because it, it, when I spoke to John Roddick and, you know, at the time of this recording, I'm the only one that's interviewed him. Uh, I, that's an exclusive, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, Black, right there. If you want to hear him. Uh, and, and I recommend people listen to that interview, even though it was from a couple months back. He talked about the team he's got, the transfers that he's already got in, Jeff. They're going to make an immediate impact on this year. Uh, he discussed that as well. He's a very confident guy. And you can and when you can tell in his convert when you talk to him, that when you spend time, when you talk to him, uh, you can't help but be sold on what he's selling. And, and, and that confidence rubs off. And, and I think he's going to bring the most out of these players. And players are going to want to play for him because they know who he is. And uh, I, I just think, um, you know, it, I think UCF tennis is in for a, an incredible future. And a credit to Danny White again. I cannot emphasize that because to have that vision, Jeff, to get a John Roddick, knowing that you're going to be playing your home matches at the USDA Center, to hit a home run like that is, is just uh, blows me away. I know Coach Macy, and when I spoke to him, uh, you know, and other people I've talked to in college tennis, they were. They, it was a blockbuster move. It is no question the biggest story in college tennis uh, in 2017. Tremendous, and you know we're looking forward to having Coach Roddick and mm-hmm. Coach Kaniko on our program, uh, uh, hopefully soon in the next uh, in the next several weeks as we move through uh, the spring as well. So yeah, I mean a blockbuster move, like we said, and this is something that we've been looking to make a splash on. Uh, I'd love to see. Uh, I'd love to see UCF get you know do this in tennis, obviously which I think has been a little bit under-invested in the last several years. Uh, you covered that. And, yeah. and expand on that because you, you were there. You, you worked at UCF. You covered tennis. Uh, one of the few that did. You covered, covered tennis. tennis. You spoke- every, every match I would go out there and get video, yeah. And we covered them at the, uh, well, they call it the UCF Tennis Complex, but basically it's the rec courts next to the rec and right. wellness center. And, and you broadcasted to some as a student, if I remember, uh, I was told too, right? You did some broadcast stuff we, where you guys – we thought about tennis. it, but we didn't yeah. get the opportunity okay. to do it. I, I didn't get – at least I didn't get the opportunity to do it. It would have been really – That's right. It was, our, it was other people. I know UCF TV back in yeah. the day UCF did some TV of that. did it. I wasn't able to do it. I think Matt Dunway ah. actually did That's some right. of that. That's right. He did. He did. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it, they are what they are. They're recreational courts that kind of have been on occasion fallen into disrepair and aren't exactly yeah. even – um, there are some spots where, you know, if it rains, water tends to collect and just stay there. Um, and it, it, it's hard to – there's a ceiling to how good you can be against teams that are playing in better facilities when you're playing there, right? So, oh, oh, there's no question. There's no question about that. I mean, I've been to UCF tennis matches. Uh, I've been there, and let's be honest – you and I can play there. <laughs> it's no different. Like that's you know, they would whereas, they, they would boot people off the tennis courts and like, hey, we yeah. have an NCAA tennis match coming right. up. You guys are going to have to go now. And, Correct. And yeah. and that you know that was kind of, and that was really awkward. And that's you know I hate saying it. You know, and I feel bad for the coaches who were there. You know, Stephanie Nikitas and Bobby Cashman, right. who you know served UCF very well for a long time, and I and I thought sure. did everything that they could possibly do given the resources that they had. Uh, with both programs, but you know it was time for a total facelift of the program, 
And, oh, no question. And with John coming in, you know, that's, that's exciting. And boy, I, I, I wish I could have seen those, we could have seen success for everybody there. But, um, you know, like I said, this is going to be a tough, um, that's part of the tough aspect of the business. But I, I now think that, you know, that this, is, this is the time for UCF tennis to really come into its own. So uh, we talk forward to that. Looking know, forward to talking with I, both the coaches now, too. I agree. And, you know, we talk about facilities when it comes to football and basketball. It, it, it's a, you know, tennis is the same way. I, I've been to Tulsa, who had just hosted uh, the NCAA championships recently. I think it was last season, as last a matter season, of fact. Yeah. Uh, I was there. I've seen their tennis courts. I've stood in there. It's beautiful. It's tremendous. It's like a, it looks like the U.S. Open. Uh, that's what you're dealing with, uh, with Tulsa, who's one of your teams that you're dealing with in the conference. So, um Huge commitment for UCF to play at that USTA center. I think it's a game changer for the community because I think you're going to have a lot of events in that tournament, in that event, not just the conference championships, which you alluded to in April. I think you're going to have NCAA championships there. I was at the pro shares event. It's a senior league kind of tennis legends tour thing at the Amway center recently, about a week ago in town and the USTA center's presence was there. And I, and talking to people there, uh, John McEnroe was playing. Andy Roddick was playing. Uh, Jim Curry was playing. And talking to tennis people over there, I know that the ex- they're hopeful that they can bring in maybe at some point an ATP tour event or a WTA tour event to Lake Nona. So, I mean, this this not just as a UCF thing. This is a city of or- Central Florida thing, Jeff. Yeah. It's big. It's big. Yeah, I'm hoping that if you're if you're a tennis fan in Central Florida, you get behind this because it's going to be good. So, yeah, you and I are going to head out there, right? We're heading out there at some point to check it out. We've been invited. I won't mention the names, but we have been invited, Jeff. So I feel like we have to kind of uh, take yeah, them up on that. That's, that's my hope. I want to get I want to get out there, catch a couple of matches. We'll see. We'll see how the yep. schedule works out. And when we do, yep. we'll take we'll take some good pictures and we'll send it around to everyone. So uh, that should be that should be a lot of fun. We'll make sure we report back to that. So all right, moving on. Let's take a look at uh, what else is going on in terms of. Uh, it, well, you know what? This is a good time to actually finish up by talking a little college football to sort of wrap up the season. Yeah. We saw an epic, epic national championship game between Alabama and Clemson. And I told you, Eric Lopez, watch out for those Clemson Tigers who had a chip on their shoulder. Never underestimate the nobody respects us factor. And they uh, defeat Alabama. They scored 21 points in the final quarter, including a final uh, touchdown pass with one second to go from Deshaun Watson, Gainesville High School graduate, a red elephant from the no- mountains of northeastern Georgia, uh, in what's going to be his final touchdown or his final pass as a college athlete. Wow! Uh, throwing to uh, throwing to uh, Renfro for the game winner with one second to go to knock off Alabama. This Alabama team, you look at the advanced metrics, one of the top five. I think five thirty eight dot com had them as one of the five greatest teams. In, uh, in college football history in terms of their overall ratings. I have to double-check that. But th- this was certainly one of the five biggest upsets uh, in terms of the difference in all those metrics, in terms of the differences in all those metrics. So, um, so Clemson wins the national championship, and their second national championship in school history. And, uh, cheer- and it didn't look like that early because, I, you know, watching that, o- uh, that offensive line for Alabama – was carving up Clemson in the first quarter. And I was thinking, wow, Brent Key is going to be on the tips of people's tongues again <laughs> with uh, the job that his offensive line was doing against Clemson's defensive front. Now, Alabama did run the ball pretty well. Uh, 
going for you know going forward in that game. And I thought that their real their stars really did shine, particularly on defense and the front seven. But got to hand it to Clemson and uh, uh, shout out to Joe Simon, former facilities yep. guy over at UCF, who's uh, who moved on to Clemson uh, and got to see his uh, his Tigers win a national championship. And uh, what were your thoughts coming off of that? Great game. Uh, I mean, I had Clemson like you did. It didn't look good for about a half. It was weird. Alabama kind of controlled the tempo. But, you know, you know you've know, you talked about it with Scott Frost and trying to go fast. You see, you see fast, right? Yeah. I think you saw, you know, you saw some of the reason why in this game. Because, really, you look at the score and, a lot, you know, you look at the stats and Clemson had over 500 yards against that Alabama defense and all that. The Clemson big stat ran, to me. Yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 99 plays. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. 99 plays, and I don't care how good your defense is. That's a lot of plays that's to overcome. the most plays that anyone yeah. has ever run in one game against Alabama in yeah. history. Correct. That's, that's the key because Alabama's defense was controlling Clemson, but because Alabama couldn't get first downs, they were terrible on third downs. And Clemson kept getting first downs and kept getting plays, and that was their goal. And, and you know, you heard the ESPN, Reese Davis, and the guys talk about it. That one of Clemson's goal is to get to eighty plays, get to eighty plays, because they felt they could wear down Alabama's defense. And I think that's what you saw yep. in the fourth quarter of that game. And that's how Clemson was able to come back and win the game. Congrats to Tucker Israel, by the way, the nephew of Kyle. Uh, so he's got a national, he'll have a national championship ring, uh, and he'll be competing for the starting quarterback job now with Deshaun moving on. But um, that's the key, right? If you're if you're if you if you want to say what's the ideal scenario from a Scott Frost type offense, you're hoping from a UCF perspective, that's kind of the goal, right? Is to have right. those plays, 70, 80 plays wear down the other defense. The problem this past season, Jeff, because the offense was not uh, uh, running on all cylinders because they don't have all the talent material that you know to fit the offense. It was the opposite. We saw the opposite where the, our defense was on the field too much. You know, and yeah. that's the cat-mouse game when you're playing the up-tempo, you know, UC fast type of style with the spreads and all this offense. That's what's going on in the sport. You saw it right there. Alabama's defense is the best in the country, but I don't care how good you are. 99 plays takes its toll, and Clemson was able to take advantage of that, and I thought that was the key. They wore them down. Um and expose their, quote, uh, lack of depth. I say, quote, because it's laughable when we talk Alabama and lack of depth. I mean, <laughs> their backups are probably four or five stars, but they don't have a lot of experience. And, um, you know, that was huge. So big win for Clemson, big win for the ACC, big win for Dabo Sweeney, who was the wide receiver. Obviously, everybody talked about him being the Alabama, played at Alabama, won a national title for Gene Stallings. He was also ninety-two against Miami. I remember that game. Yeah. He was a grad assistant and all this stuff, but something that people may not be aware of. Remember, he was the wide receivers coach under Mike DeBose from 98 to 2000. And I said 2000. Yes, he was the wide receiver coach for Alabama. He was on the field that day in 2000 when UCF beat Alabama mm -hmm. on homecoming, which turned out I think it was Mike DeBose's last game. So Dabo Sweeney. Well, that, that's your little inner little kind of connection there, if you will. Dabo Sweeney and UCF um, playing uh, in, in that 2000 game, which is obviously the only time UCF ever played Alabama, beat Alabama. Uh, you know, I don't know where, where where do you rank that win now, Jeff? That way, because that was huge at the time. It was the biggest win over a power, you know, five conference, quote unquote, 
program at the time. Since then, they've beaten Baylor, obviously the Fiesta, but I think everybody would agree that's number one on the list. Where is Alabama on that list now? Is it three? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? Where would you rank it's, that win? It's either, program? I think it's either two or three, and I think, uh, I think it depends on where you put our first conference championship when we beat Tulsa uh, in Bright House Network Stadium and where you put our first bowl win. Uh, I think against uh, against Georgia in the Liberty Bowl. I think that's that that that's kind of the whatever order you put it in. I think it's got to be in that top three or four. That upset over Alabama that really did put the Knights, uh, I think, on the map and where people first ever really ever heard about UCF. I think that's 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 where I would put it personally. So you were again just to clarify, you would rank it. I would rank it. I personally would rank it. Second behind the Fiesta. Behind, so you have it ahead. I have it ahead. Uh, of, I have ahead, I have it ahead of the our, of the Liberty Bowl against Georgia, and I have it ahead of our first uh, conference title against Tulsa. Right. What I mean, about I you? Really, yeah. No. I'm, I mean, thinking. I'm thinking about it. This is a tough uh, one, man. It's hard. I, I mean, obviously, the Baylor one is number one, but I mean, because it's Alabama, right? I mean, I know Alabama right. wasn't very good. They had a disappointing year. They were coming off the Orange Bowl. And they had a, they were a flop. Still Alabama, but to win, to win at Brian Denny uh, Stadium, um, and in the fashion yeah, think, that we did too, last second field goal. Oh, it was a great football game. I still have that on tape. Brian Schneider was fantastic. Javier Borlegi with the game winning field goal. You know, I've joked with Jerry O'Neill. Obviously, I produced Tuck and O'Neill. I've joked. No one has a higher win percentage. In Brian Denny Stadium, right? Then Jerry O'Neill on the sidelines, one and zero. Right? That, that's he's always got that going for him. Um, but you're right. I mean, that kind of set the tone. I mean, that's still a magic, even to this day. That win still registers. Uh, so I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I think it's a, m- a more meaningful win than the Georgia game in the Liberty Bowl. I, although I know some will fans will argue and they're going to yell at you. And feel free to do that on Jeff's Twitter account, please. Um, don't add me to that. Um, because Georgia was the UCF's first ever bowl win. So I understand. I think if you're going to make the argument for number two, that could be the argument you're going to get. But first of all, that was not a great game. Let's be honest. That was a 10 to no, six game. It wasn't, but, it, I, but it really meant something to the school to win that game the way it we did against it an did. SEC opponent and get that first bowl win, that first ever bowl win and finish a season with a W in a bowl game. Uh, th- that matters. That really does matter. So I, I'd still put the Alabama game ahead of it, but it's close. Uh, you know, the other game I will bring up is the Louisville game, 2013, the regular season game, Bridgewater versus Bortles. You know, I'm glad Friday you brought night. that one up. I'm glad you brought yeah. that one up. That, that, I think that would be – Because I could argue that's number two. Five. I might put that number two because – I'll tell you why. Here's why. Here's my argument on this. It was a, a showcase game of Friday night. It was the top two teams in the American Conference. Louisville's up 28-7. to It looks like all things are lost. And UCF makes that comeback. They win the game. That's the difference in winning the American Conference. If you don't win that game against Louisville, you never get a chance at playing Baylor. You never get a chance at playing the Fiesta Bowl. So I'm actually going to go with the Louisville game, number two, because that's a significant win. Without that win, you don't get the Fiesta Bowl. So – uh, I will actually put that one too ahead of the Alabama game because of the significance, of the ramifications of that football game in a game that I don't think any night fan will will forget because 
I think people thought that game was over at one point, and it was one of the most maybe the, one of the most incredible comebacks in the program's history. So uh, I would probably go with that one. Two, I'd go Bama's win, three, um, and then Georgia, four, the Liberty Bowl, probably. And Where would you um, that Temple game. That's a great counter argument because you can make the case, right? I mean, the. That, they don't that's make that, you know, J, uh, J.J. Ward right. doesn't make that catch. All that other stuff doesn't happen either. Sure. Right. No, that's fair. I mean, obviously the South Florida game that year, that Friday, Black Friday that you like so much, mm-hmm. uh, the Bortles to Perriman, I'll never forget. I was on that sidelines, on that side of the end zone. I was in the building, uh, too, and, I, and we were we were sitting in a, in a, a section with a bunch of diehard UCF fans who are friends of mine, and we were all looking at each other late in that game, and I think there was an interception at one point for USF, and we were looking at and they had the ball deep in our territory, and we were, th- and yeah. we were looking at, each- at ourselves thinking, this is it. This is how it comes to an end. Our, the run's over, and it's going to happen to our rival on our home field. And there was true despair uh, it, it, on the, uh, in the stands at that. And then all of a sudden, they missed the field goal. We get the ball back, and then we hit the long touchdown pass, and 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 there's life again right i mean it, it really was it really went from sheer despair to joy in a span of about maybe a minute and a half yeah i mean 2013 was in a lot of ways was like that so it's kind of hard to pick, pinpoint one or two games i mean heck i think the penn state win people forget we won it ucf beat penn state at penn state that year and i think that game gets now lost in the shuffle because of all the other games that year <laughs> so yeah temple certainly a top 10 game um, and what's funny is we kind of saw the future of the conference as a because that was PJ Walker's coming out party. He was a freshman at the time. Matt Rule uh, was still trying. He was trying to build the Temple program at the time. They were a bottom team. And it's funny. Four years later, Temple returned the favor, though, right? Isn't that funny how things go full circle? Yeah. You can argue that UCF stole that game away from Temple, and then four seasons later at UCF, Walker returns the favor and steals the game from UCF. So, uh, you know, I've always believed sports things tend to even out a little bit, and I guess it did that time. But, uh, you know, those are some of the games that I would probably jump out. NC State, I'm sure people are screaming at us to bring that up as well, the 07 win and the opening day of 07, Kevin Smith's first carry going to the end zone. Um, is up there. You mentioned the conference championship win over Tulsa in 07. Uh, that was a memorable one uh, because of the significance. And obviously, uh, East Carolina 2014, right? Hale Perriman uh, is another yeah. memorable game. Um, just so many. These are all games that are divi- in our Division 1A era. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, unless I mean, we forget the great games we had again, you know, when we were in Division One, Double A, and Division Two. Right. Um, I think that that game where we where we beat Youngstown State on the late field goal uh, in the playoffs at Youngstown comes to mind. Um, all, it, 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 it's tough. One day, you know, we're gonna have to do this over the summer. Do like our top ten. Well, you know, I, well, not only that, you know, who we need to bring in Sean Beckton. He's probably yeah, you know, the second right. answer. He's, more, he's the most qualified to answer this because he played in that era and he's coached during most of this era i don't think there's any person uh that i, I respect as much as i do with sean beckton with a hall of fame player I, I would argue he's been a hall of fame type position coach whether it be defensive backs or wide receivers um i'll be curious what he would do. he could probably give you some games there i'm sure absolutely yeah i think i think you're exactly right i think you're exactly right that. all right by the way right. by the way we cannot be remiss since we did. I brought up Kevin Smith. That's one of the big stories this week, Jeff. Yeah. Kevin Smith uh, leaving UCF, 
to become the running backs coach at FAU under Lane Kiffin. Um, Kevin announced it on Facebook, on his Facebook page. Very happy for him, uh, Jeffrey. Kevin Smith, I think, obviously, will always remember, is probably, arguably, top three player of all time in the program history, uh, at least in the conversation with him and Culpepper and Bortles and Bruce Miller, if you want to probably, are probably the four names that will be brought up uh, frequently. Uh, but your reaction, obviously, Kevin Smith to FAU, I know that some fans, that kind of stings a little bit because he's going to be under, you know, Lane Kiffin's staff. But for him, it's a promotion. Uh, to be the running backs coach. And uh, it was great to see. I saw Ryan Held, the running back coach, congratulate him on social media. I'm sure all the staff did. And uh, uh, he's moving up in the world now as a coach. Who would have thought of that, huh, when we were watching him play? I'm thrilled for Kevin Smith that he that he has got that opportunity at FAU. And I think he's going to be a tremendous asset for Lane Kiffin in terms of recruiting in South Florida. Kevin's a Miami kid. Um, I think he's – I think so I'm happy that he's – that he's got the job and and he's going to be um, working under somebody who you know let's face it you know he's got <laughs> Lane Kiffin you know is a big time name with some serious connections. Um, I'm sad that now we have to go against Kevin in the recruiting game because you know I know Kevin's a knight through and through. You know you never you never know maybe one day he'll be he'll even be coming back one day you know if there's if, if you know there are some staff moves uh, you know down the line but. Um, Boy, oh boy, he he knows the tricks of the trade, and uh, it, 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 at least in terms of you know what South Florida kids are looking for, and uh, Lane Kiffin's gain is certainly our loss, and I'm certainly um, I'm sad about that, but I'm super super happy for Kevin because uh, he deserves it. He deserves it certainly. I do too. Future UCF Hall of Famer. I think you two, the both no of us, would agree on question. that. No question. No uh, question. First I year of eligibility. He's... If he doesn't get in, something's wrong. I believe he's eligible, and the my math is, you know, it depends a lot of this. UCF Hall of Fames are usually every other year. Uh, sometimes it changes, sometimes it's not. But let's say it's my point is a lot. after you graduate. I know Correct. that. Correct. Right. Now, what, you know, what's tricky, though, remember about Kevin, he left after his junior season uh, to go to the NFL. He played for the Detroit Lions. He did eventually get his degree. Because remember, I'll never forget George O'Leary always kept bringing that up when Kevin Smith came back, and he's like, "Kevin, you got to get your degree," you know. Um, so I don't know how that affects the whole thing if that pushes the clock back. Because uh, you mentioned ten years, you know, so it may not. You know, the question becomes: Do they wait? You know, I don't know when he exactly graduated. I think it was maybe a few years ago he got his actual degree. So I don't know if that delays the clock, if you will, or do they put him in? Is he eligible like in twenty nineteen? Uh, nonetheless, we're going to need a well, ruling from someone. Whoever yeah, we, I, I got to hit up my sources on that. Who knows? It's kind of tricky how they sometimes they trade the, the rules in there, but uh, uh, we'll see. We'll I'd see what happens. With if that. they make Kevin wait that long, <laughs> well, I mean, you never know. I mean, you never know. I mean, who knows? I, you know, it just varies. And who knows? I mean, if he's busy coaching, you know, it might push it on. Who knows? It's, but he'll certainly be there at some point. Uh, it'll be interesting and kind of ironic. You know, he's going to be in Conference USA where he made a name for himself. Uh, he was a player of the year in Conference USA, and now he's going to be coaching in Conference USA. So, you know. Best of luck kind to of, Kevin. Yeah, and remember, UCF and FAU are scheduled to play in a couple of years. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, may, yeah he exactly. There, he may still be there, or he may go wherever Lane Kiffin takes him. Who knows? So, 
hopefully that's we don't see much more movement on the coaching uh, staff. And, you know, who knows? But you know, that's going to be the question, I think, Jeff, to follow in the next few weeks is this, this staff is that is anybody else leave? You know, does anybody on the staff leave for another job? Uh, I think will be the question uh, moving forward because there's still some position jobs, stuff like that available over there. And we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, you know, that's the, the only other thing to monitor, I think, in the next few weeks from a UCF perspective. Yeah, we are in the position where, you know, we are seeing those the, the, the assistant coaching staffs fill out. You know, all the head coaching jobs have basically been filled. Now those guys are filling uh, assistant positions, and those are the ones that are really critical in building the staff. All right, so as we finish up here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret.com uh, podcast, Eric, what do you got coming up this week? We got a lot. Um, I first want to tell the audience again, uh, first of all, let's first start with you, actually, for a change, because UCF Houston basketball, right? you were on recently. Again, tell the audience where they can get more oh, yeah, details the, uh, on UCF Houston. Uh, make sure you listen to the Scott and Holman podcast. That's Scott and Holman, like Justin Holman, podcast, P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T, uh, hosted by uh, uh, Sam, Scott, and Dustin Holman, and... Uh, it's a Houston podcast. They asked they asked me to come on and talk a little UCF in uh, leading up to our game uh, on Saturday. And I was also on the uh, Nightline Live podcast video uh, video show, um, the uh, spectacular to end the football season with Trace and Andrew and Eric Kohler. Uh, you can catch that uh, on uh, UCFNightline.com. And also I'd link to it in an article on blackandgoldbanneret.com. So. Beautiful. So, and then also from my standpoint, check out Tuck and O'Neill weekdays, three to seven on Sports Talk 1080, the team Orlando. You can listen and watch the show on sportstalkflorida.com. But this Friday, Friday, the night, the day before the UCF Houston game, Friday, January 13th, I will be filling in for Jerry O'Neill. It'll be me and Mike Tuck hosting the show. And we're scheduled to have Johnny Dawkins will be on the show. So we'll talk about the Houston game. We'll talk about the team. So if you want to hear from Coach Dawkins, uh, tune in. Uh, time that we're recording this, we don't have a specific time yet, but we will. I'll post that on Twitter at Eric Lopez Elo, so keep an eye on that. And, you know, we'll have that interview up on the site here at Black and Gold Banneret. But if you want to hear it, Coach Dawkins' thoughts leading into the Houston game, uh, tune in to Tuck and O'Neill on Friday for that. Also, I will be hosting the Sports Talk Florida Insider Show on Saturday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll be at Universal Nissan at the corner of 417 and Orange Blossom Trail. And that's a big show because we're also scheduled to be joined by UCF softball head coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie. Softball's just around the corner. We'll preview the softball season coming up. Uh, so we're going to hear from Coach Gillespie, a very young team. Uh, so we'll talk about that. I'm also going to ask her. About her, some of her former players going into coaching. Shelby Turnier now is at UNF, uh, so I'll get her reaction to that. And so, well, again, that'll be from eleven to one, uh, the show. Also, Texas Tech's tennis coach Brent Macy. Uh, you heard a portion of that interview I recorded with him uh, on this podcast. You'll hear the entire interview on Saturday at about eleven thirty. Coach Gillespie, I think, is scheduled to be on around twelve thirty. Uh, so, but you get Coach Macy to talk about. The match, you know, what John Roddick will bring to UCF and the USTA Center on the day that UCF will host Texas Tech in a landmark match to open the USTA Center, UCF's first men's tennis match there. So uh, you're going to keep it on the Insider Show from 11 to 1. We'll talk about 
UCF softball season coming up, but of course UCF tennis going up against Texas Tech. You'll get to hear what the opponents and what the the, the peers think of John Roddick from one of the best in the country and Brett Macy. So that's a big show uh, Saturday, 11 to 1, and then I'll be heading out to watch the UCF Houston game. So if you run into me, say hello, tell you enjoy the podcast. And uh, so we, I hope to see you all out there as well. And uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's a full plate I got, my friend, in the weekend. <laughs> I know, it's a busy week coming up, you know, especially now we're heading towards a, in a little bit. We're going to have another sports equinox here for UCF with basketball crossing over with baseball and softball and tennis and golf and a, uh, a number of other sports coming up. So, and Eric, everyone can follow you on Twitter at? Eric Lopez Elo. So you get all the details there. And uh, like I said, go there. I'll tweet out uh, the Johnny Dawkins interview. I'll, again, the Insider Show stuff, 1080, 11 to 1. You can also stream, I'll listen to the audio on sports.florida.com, Tuck and O'Neill, 37. So a lot of UCF. Because I know you are out there. You're always, oh, hey, what are the, these radio shows? They don't talk about UCF. Well, you got no excuses. Yeah, we do. You got right <laughs> yeah, that's right. You so, also have podcasts that you can listen to as well. That's right, like ours, we got a lot more coming up. That's right. You can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. Hit us up uh, collectively at UCF underscore banner at blackandgoldbanneret.com and as well on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.